welcome to episode 187 of Friends of Film, where you're bringing the latest movie news and review the biggest release, which this week is Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. As always, I'm your host, Cooper Hood, once again joined by Josh Straley. Hello, everybody. It's me again. Hello. Hi. Cooper, I have a question for you. Okay. Right now, I'm watching The Office again. Like that, this very second. No. During our podcast. Actually, last week, near the end of the podcast, it may have <laughs> seemed like I was doing something else, but I wasn't. I was just falling asleep. Yeah. If the, you can definitely tell, there's like sporadic bursts from me it's at like, the end of that episode. Yes, yes, I am awake. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm trying to convince my, everyone audioly, though they can't see me, uh-huh. that it was, and it just comes across really weird. <laughs> it's so funny. But rest assured, I am rested, caffeinated, and ready, ready to, go. to go. But. What I do have to say is if you were on a desert island, what three movies would you bring? Ooh. That's so tough. Mm-hmm. I don't like these questions. I know. But it makes you think. All right. One would be Warrior. Great movie. Excellent movie. And it's just, you know, it's got that fighting spirit. So it's like, you know, maybe keep my hope alive. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also probably bring, I'd have to bring a Marvel movie. The OG Iron Man or Endgame? It'd just be, well, I don't know. Because, like, Infinity War, a lot of great action. But, like, that ending is also pretty depressing. Right. You'd probably just be like, all right, it's over. Yeah. Bury your face in the sand. Endgame, the first hour of it's really depressing. Then there's, like, you know, good stuff after that. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if I could really go with – I would maybe just go with the OG Avengers. And just be like, this is just pure popcorn – like, not that I'd have any popcorn on this island, but I would just enjoy the heck out of it the whole time through. So Avengers and Warrior. And then, hmm, I would want a comedy. So I'd go with Popstar, Pops, Never Stop, Never Stopping. Great pick, great because pick. Because it's hilarious, but then there's also great music. Mm-hmm. So then even if I'm not watching it, theoretically, I could just like, have it on, and then just listen to music, yeah. which I probably wouldn't have otherwise. Mm-hmm. So those are my my choices. Warrior, Avengers, and Popstar. I, I accept all of those. Those Thank are you. really great. Um, do you have it like, do you have any? I do have three. Oh, good, good. The Empire Strikes Back. Okay. Sci-fi, little bit, uh, a little bit funny, right on the line. The Other Guys, that's my oh. comedy choice. I mean, that, that'd be the runner-up for if it wasn't Popstar. And then I'm picking Baby Driver. Because, like you just said, there's a ton of great music in that thing. And it's just nonstop action. Yeah. And it's a little bit of a rom-com, so I get that perfect kernel right in there. There we go. Yeah. Um, but I'm on my office rewatch, or more like it's mindlessly on in the background <laughs> while I do things. And that's going on. You can look for me to tweet random snippets of dialogue from that movie. But if you're looking for random bits of news, you can follow us on Twitter, at FriendsInFilm, A-N-D Film. Or... If you want to know like what we're thinking about those movies that we would take to the Desert Island or movies in the future, we review those. And we also talk about that same news we tweet about. Uh, you can find those on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. But if you can, on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us. That'll ultimately help rank us, and then we can find more friends of the show. And right now, as I understand yep. correctly, you can also do something else when you rate and review us yes for one more day if you listen to this on the day it drops or i guess the night it drops um you'll have about 24 hours to enter our avengers endgame digital giveaway which will be announced on tuesday august 13th so uh go retweet the tweet that's pinned to our twitter account um 
or if you want to juice your entries and just kind of have every opportunity you can, uh, you can leave us a review on iTunes, uh, five stars, hopefully, uh, preferably, please, um, and then take a screenshot of that, send it to us uh, so we can verify who you are with a, a Twitter handle. So, uh, yeah, do that again, 24 hours or so, and we'll announce the winner of that on Tuesday. But uh, in the meantime, we've watched a new movie that came out in theaters this week. Josh, is there anything else that you watched that maybe what you would take to the desert island or you just want to tell people about anyways? Hmm. I didn't watch anything that I would take to a desert island this week. Okay. But I did watch all the way through for the first time, the fast and furious, the OG oh. film. Good. Fine. Low key. I forgot how low budget that film was. Oh yeah. Just super small, very, very aggressively nineties. Um, and it's action. Great. But I have a hot take. Oh, boy. Because I also watched The Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. Yes. And I think that's the best Fast and Furious film of the first five. Of the first five? Yes. It's really hard to say that Fast 7 is, or, you know, Furious 7 is is the top one. I mean, I think... Justin Lin brings style to that movie, and it's phenomenal. It's been a long time since I watched the movie, but... I don't know if that's as hot of a take as you may think. Like I know there's, other, I've heard of other people who like have maybe it's not the top mm-hmm. of the Fast and Furious franchise, but it's near the top for them. Yeah, I would say it's just as soon as the camera finds Han in that movie, you just you're just mesmerized by it. You really are, and I'd forgotten that feeling. I'm mm-hmm. just like, wow, this guy really just takes up a frame, and he's he's just so yeah. It, the rest of the movie is just like wow, that's that's fire. And then also it takes you to a different spot yeah. and you get the car culture across the overseas and it works completely. Oh, I mean, I, I love the drifting aspect of the movie mm-hmm. the most because I was like in the height of, you know, like the need for speed games. There was a drift one that came out then and like the underground stuff and like, well, oh, I love those games. Oh, so like yeah. that really hit a hit a spot for me, you know, as a, a teenager mm-hmm. on the OG PlayStation and PlayStation 2. PlayStation 2s, yeah. There we go. Love it. How about you, man? Um, I watched a couple things this week. Um, some Netflix series, but also a movie that you've recommended before, spoken highly about, that I really enjoyed. I have no clue what this is. It could be anything. It really, really could. Um, but it is Megamind. Yes. I, I watched it this morning, and oh it, was, my goodness. it was so good. Like I, just, I laughed all the way through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I wish I checked like IMDb at one point because I uh-huh. couldn't place... Um, David Cross. I, yeah, I couldn't place him. I was like, is this Bill Hader? I don't know who this is. And so I had to look it up. And like mm-hmm. when I pulled up IMDb, like the first image that popped up was like the the twist of the movie. I don't know if I can spoil it. Like that. Jonah Hill is also part of this movie. Well, I, I, I figured that out already from okay. the camera guy. But like there's a plot twist to, you know, a major thing that happens like 30 minutes in. Oh, this movie's 10 years old. But okay. Meg, uh, Megamind is it locked in battle with his arch rival, uh, and hero of the movie, Metro Man. Yes. And so he defeats him in the opening acts of this movie after failing completely, only to discover at the beginning of the third and final act, he's alive the entire time. Yes. And Me- Metro Man, played by Brad Pitt. That's so good. So good. Pitch perfect is actually alive and taking a vacation because he's done being a superhero. Yes. He's now Guitar Man. Yeah. And so. 
I, I was already a little suspect. I actually, I may have already looked this up beforehand, but then, so like when like the skeleton like got thrown in and like IMDb, the first image that popped up for some reason was, you know, um, Met- Metro man, you know, with his beard. Uh-huh. And I was like, Oh, okay. Interesting. And so then my, my thought was for a long time, Oh, well he's going to just going to recreate Metro man. Not like he's just going to clone him somehow. Cause he's like, you know, Megamind, he could, right. he could do that. And then when he created, he turned Joan Hill accidentally into Titan. And I was like, Oh, he's just alive, mm-hmm. and like he faked it. Okay, yeah. fine. Wish I maybe wouldn't have saw that, but it's really, really funny. It's on Netflix streaming right now, so uh, go check it out. Yeah, it's pitch perfect. I love that movie so much. Um, but let's move on to scary stories to tell in the dark, mm-hmm. which I don't know if I would call perfect. But Josh, you're going to kick us off here, yes, with our review there of were. the latest uh, scary movie that's in theaters. And if hopefully, if all works well, you have seen the review that went up last night. Okay. That I've written, or if you wrote. I'm not writing it. I'm writing it. Yes. Okay. There we go. <laughs> There's the pressure. I don't know. You give me a look of like, uh-oh. All right. Good. I'm glad we're on that note. Anyway, I think it's a warm and spooky adventure that's for the whole family. Like, it's it's scary, and there's spooks, and there's horror stuff going on around the edges, but it's just like an like a, it feels like a warm Spielbergian adventure from um, kind of beginning to end. And it's based off of the short stories by Alvin Schwartz from like back in the 60s where this movie is set. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed my time in the theater like all the way through. It's cheesy. It's a little bit hammy. But when it gets, when it like starts to play with the genre that it's kind of in and about, you really get to have fun. And there are plenty of like really borderline gross images and just outright weird things going on in this movie from this lady in a nursing gown that resorbs people to the Harold, the the scarecrow who just kind of like haunts around and turns somebody else into a scarecrow. Uh Yeah. I think that's what happened. I believe believe that's how that, yeah. One of those. I interpreted as he was turned into one. Yeah. Okay. That goes down. There's a, cryptic lady looking for her toe and there's like all these urban legends and like stories that are um being born out of this book which is the MacGuffin, who was which was created by sarah bellows and mm-hmm. um it gets procedural because you're like all right when the night comes here's a new scary story that's gonna get after one of our main cast but that aside from all of that I enjoyed my time all the way through this movie. Zoe Margaret uh, Coletti is our star. She's Stella, the aspiring writer who picks up the book and unknowingly activates and brings upon this, you know, destruction on the small Pennsylvania town, mm-hmm. or at least these incidents. And she just crushes it all the way through. She's joined by um, Michael Garza, who plays Ramon, and he's like sensitive and like really charming and fun um, all the way through. But it's her friends who are Chuck and uh, what's his face? No clue. I don't have IMDb <laughs> open and I didn't write them down. It's Augie. Yes. Augie and Chuck who are like the, just the funny backbone to this movie, particularly Chuck who is played by Austin Zazur. He is just pitch perfect on getting you to laugh all the way through the movie. Um, it didn't really scare me or like make me frightened anyway, but it did give me the heebie-jeebies. It does get your heart to pound a little bit. You don't get the edge of the seat anticipation, but 
all in all, it's a great time through. There's a lovely little story between Dean Norris, who plays uh, Stella's father in the movie. That's really sweet. Um, Like, I don't have anything bad to say about this movie. It doesn't turn off or make me be like, what's going on here in any way or the other. Um, And so all of that said, for a movie that's tying in a bunch of anthological short stories, I'm going to give it three and a half ticket stubs. All right. Uh, I will say that Scary Stories Tell in Dark. First off, I don't really know like much of anything about this movie. Never it was either. it was a last second switch. We were gonna do the kitchen, then the kitchen got pretty terrible reviews, and I was like, I I've heard, at least heard that Scary Story to Tell in the Dark is at least enjoyable. So let's go with that. I knew it was p- produced by Guillermo del Toro, mm-hmm. um, and that it was based on like these these short stories, and that it was PG thirteen. So I was expecting, you know, a, a like a spooky. You know, PG-13 horror movie with lots of jump scares from Guillermo del Toro. So there's a little bit of his sensibilities in there. And it was ultimately good, but a movie that I'll, like, forget about in, like, two or three weeks from now. Um, it's enter- it's entertaining enough to get you through. Mm-hmm. I think that the cast is fine. The lead girl is probably the best part of it. But, other like, their characters yep. are pretty... Um, generic and standard like they're just like oh she's the the shy nerdy girl at school these are the two like nerdy best friends who one of them has a crush on the other one's sister mm-hmm. um and then there's like the 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 like the student who's like not actually a student he's like you know an out-of-towner who just happens to be there and stumble across yeah. this whole thing and there's the the jock who's you know upset and mad and all the bully and i'm like okay like you know we've seen all this stuff before so they didn't really uh do anything different in that regard um the movie's at its best when it is diving into those stories, um, which, as you mentioned, can kind of get a little repetitive because you're like, well, I have to wait till night to get to them. So it's like there's not a lot of, like, you know, dread or fear or anything in the daytime. And even when the stories do come around, they're not, like like you said, they're not really scary. There's only, like, one real attempt at a jump scare, I would say, and it's not effective. Um, so, like, I didn't really get I – didn't, I didn't get scared, which I was expecting to at least get – a little frightened maybe um but i think the best one of those is the scarecrow one i thought that yeah. was had the best transfer had the best um you know kind of uh execution of the scene the best uh what happens to the person who's being chased by harold like i thought all that stuff was done really really well um i just wish that this movie could have picked up the pace instead of having me wait like 15 to 20 minutes for the next one have me wait like 10 minutes and then just be like like rapid fire them basically um and go through it so i wish this movie could have been like like 20 to 30 minutes shorter and just been like a clean hour and a half mm-hmm. and just like boom just like we're off and running and not to start with the first 30 minutes which is like it's halloween here's a bunch of misfit kids it's like mm-hmm. yeah okay it's very it's di- fine it's very disney channel-y actually yeah that, a little bit that's the vibe but with with a with a craft that makes it feel like a real film rather than just a uh, long lenses let's just shoot this shoot, shoot on 35 and then like go mm-hmm. there there's there's actual craft here and I, i'm going to give like all credit to uh, director andre um overdahl i, I hope i'm getting that correct sure. um because it's really good like he's like executed perfectly like it's got those vibes it feels like um i don't never seen any of riverdale ever no. but it feels like a riverdale episode crossed with um black magic ghosts and zombies <laughs> and all sorts of things like that and um, on those merits terrific yeah i mean i think i think it's just it's it's well done but nothing really just wowed me no gripping yeah, yeah. so at the end of the day i have some questions about you know the story and 
the mechanics behind the hauntings and everything that happen. Um, but we can get into those in spoilers. So for now, I'll just give it three ticket stubs out of five. It's entertaining. It's passable. You can go see it and enjoy it. Um, but it's nothing that I think people are going to be like raving about, you know, by the end of the year, even like, you know, years to come, no, which, which is fine. Yeah. And it, it, it does its job and, you know, it's good for that. So uh, let's move into spoilers on scary stories to tell in the dark. Um, Josh, is there any place you want to start off with? Yeah, I mean, I really, I would really like to just to like address your concerns because you've got the questions. I thought it was all pretty straightforward mechanically okay. of the story, but the premise of the story is Sarah Bellows was a girl who was born. Um, she's albino, I guess, or you know, yeah, fair hair. So. Like, yeah, at least that's what I understand. Mm-hmm. And so her family was like, you're too weird. We're going to lock you in a basement and you were going to have friends over just to talk to you through the wall because I guess that's how it works. Yeah. I was, I wasn't clear if that was like intentional or if that like she was locked down there. And then when they had parties at the house, like that's when she was locked down there. And Mm -hmm. then people at the party would like unintentionally like hear her. Yeah. I think they would, it sounds like they were inviting children over to play with her, but they just weren't allowed in the room, but they weren't allowed into the room. Okay. Yeah, and she would start to tell them scary stories. So they'd have to go down that secret passage then. Yes, or at least from the outside of the wall. Not exactly sure where or how, but she was telling them scary stories, and then eventually the children would come missing Mm -hmm. because um, they were getting mercury poisoning by drinking from the family well or in the village in sorts. And so that sparks these legends and rumors. Sarah gets to die in her cell, but not before she writes stories after being taught black magic, presumably. And but, it's, yeah, and, but it seemed like the, those, the, the mother said, like the mother made it seem like that she wasn't the one who was taught black magic. If anything, maybe she taught magic to the elderly woman who they visit. I'm not even sure. Oh, that's right. Cause she's like, Oh no, there's no, there's no, you know, like she almost like laughed at the thought of that the older lady's mom would have taught Sarah magic. She almost turned around of like, ah, you think she's the one who taught her magic? No, it was like the other way around. But then we don't get to see the mom. So it was kind of, it was not super clear. That was not super clear. And actually, I think I stepped out of the theater to take a phone call at that moment. <laughs> so I don't remember the old lady they go to. Oh, you don't, you didn't see that entire go, sequence? I did not see that entire sequence. I went from so they go, newspaper to the, um, the records Okay, so you, you know, you know when in the final act when like uh, the main girl is like being taken through and she's like basically back in time. It's what it seems like. Yes. Um, and she, there's that there's the young uh, black girl who's there and like mm-hmm. one of the servants. She is, as far as I understand, now older. She's an old lady. She's like blind. She's crazy. Like a, basically, she doesn't talk to anybody. Um, and then the kids go and visit her, and like they have the same. Um, she has the same music box as Sarah did and they start playing it and then that gets her to talk and they talk to her about, oh, did your mom teach Sarah black magic? And she's like, ah, ha, ha, no. Like, Sarah taught to her. Like she doesn't directly say that, but that's what's implied. And then her daughter is like in the next room over and kind of hears and she's like, all right, kids, you guys need to, you know, get out of here. You're making mom upset. Yeah. All that jazz. Okay. So it was like, I was like, huh. Left is an open question. Right. And but my, my biggest question with Sarah is the ending because mm-hmm. I'd say like to build Sarah up as like this big threat who's been doing these stories. I found the climactic encounter between Sarah and Stella a bit underwhelming because it's just like them like talking. Yeah. Having and, it and out. Stella's saying like, I'll tell your story. Don't, don't worry. I'm like, okay. Yeah. 
cool. Um, but like, I thought in the lead up to this, there was going to be like some twist or something that like, you know, and again, this is all based on the movie. Nothing. I have no knowledge of the books or anything. Books are just anthology stories. Okay. No, so there's no, nothing tying them okay. Together. So my, so is there a Sarah Bellows story? No. So that's all made up for this movie. I believe so. Okay. Yes. So I thought that when she was, cause she's Stella's basically like taken away, like out of the main world that mm-hmm. we're in and like taken what appears to be placed back in time. She's put on another plane, I think. Yeah. She, yeah. Right. Um, and then the out of towner kid who I don't know his name, Ramon, yep. um, he like finds her glasses mm-hmm. cracked at the house in the present day. And then like we see her back or in a different plane or something get taken by the Bellows family and like her glass fall off. Somebody steps on them and breaks them. I'm like, wait, are they going to like do some like time travel time loop thing where like Stella was actually Sarah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that would be like crazy and pretty cool. And then like they didn't do that. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. No, Sarah's just Sarah. And I was they, like, that's fine. Right. But I thought they were building it up to a place where Stella and Sarah were one in the same, or at least shared some connection mm-hmm. because ahead of that, when they save um, Chuck's sister, yes, Sar- Stella's the one that sees Sarah or a, a, an outline of her in the mirror. Right. And so I was like, so there's like some connection they have there. Like she placed the book back on Sarah's bookshelf. It shows back up on Stella's bookshelf at her house. So I was like, there had like, there's some connection here and it just seemed like they were going to go that route. And I thought that would have been more interesting than just like, there's no connection. It's all happenstance. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to tell your story that nobody's going to really care about. Yeah. That like, there was some time loop where Sarah had, already gone through where Stella had gone through this. That's why she was like, no, I'm not Sarah. I didn't do any of this. Like I'm like, they're like and then her, her family's just like, no, you are. Yeah. You're crazy. And she's like, I'm not crazy. You're the crazy ones. And like, there's this whole thing. Right. I was like, that would have been really insane. And I, I would have dug that more than this. Yeah. That's sort of like an act of like empathy. I think that Sarah's like trying to like infuse onto Stella at that <laughs> point um, where she's just like, this is what it was like when I escaped from the house. And like she kind of, be, they became one in the same by transporting her there. And that's mm-hmm. what the past was seeing in the present. Um, but yeah, I think after that, you're just kind of getting into like mechanics of like, and tropes of like horror and scary stuff where it's like, oh, the book's following you or you can't escape it. Right. It's, it's haunting her at that point. And then you get into like, well, what is demonic possession? And then but yeah, I mean, I, I just felt all. like that would have been something different that like, I, I can't think of a, horror movie again i haven't seen every horror movie i have i've barely i've seen minimal amounts honestly um but i can't think of one that has like you know that sort of an element to it where like the thing haunting people Mm -hmm. is a like past slash future version of the main character i can't think i've ever seen that in anything either unless you consider ang lee's gemini man that (laughs) <laughs> I don't think that's a horror movie. It's intended to be at least. We haven't seen it yet. So it could be, but uh, I don't know. I just thought that that would have been something yeah. where for us, and maybe my my expectations were too much, but I felt like they were at least laying the groundwork for such a reveal that that's where my mind was going. Then when they didn't go that route, I'm like, eh, okay, it's yeah. fine. Getting getting into time travel, like that's the whole other concept you got oh, to yeah. explain. And then it's, it's like your Avenger Endgame thing. We want to do time travel, but we really don't want to explain it at all. Right. And so, but like, I don't think if they would have just been like, oh, you know, 
the, like she was transported to this other plane, mm-hmm. which is also basically took her back in time. Yes. And then they can't find Stella in the present day anymore. She's just disappeared. Right. And it's because, well, she was taken through some, somehow, somehow, some way she was taken back in time and trapped in that house where she was at in the present day. Yeah, she just teleported to another plane. That's why she can't take the book with her. That's why when the glasses fall from her face, right. they actually fall through the illusion and back into the house. The house oh, where Ramon is. Okay. I didn't... Okay, I forgot about that whole part. Yeah. Then. I mean, it, 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 yeah, yes, it falls apart if you, if you, take, a, if you take a scalpel to it. Um, but the journey, the experience, it got me. And that's why I'm going to have to take a step higher. <laughs> I guess you. so. Can I give my, my other theory yeah, that I thought please. was going to happen? Toss I was like, okay, out. if it wasn't, if it wasn't Stella was Sarah, mm-hmm. I was like, are they going to do the, like the same sort of a premise, but like that her mom was Sarah. Cause oh. they, they never mention her mom by name. Right. And they don't left. even really give an explanation of why she left other than, Oh, it's Stella. It's not your fault. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay. Right. Great, but they never name her. They never show a picture of her. They never do anything to highlight her other than like she just randomly one day vanished. Yeah, this is what it seems like. And I was like, that's basically what happened to Chuck and all these other people. They just mm-hmm. in a blink of an eye, they're gone. There'd be a connection there. And I was like, so like maybe she was taken through this sort of plane time loop thing, and she's the one. Hmm. Or she was haunted by the books once. Yeah, sure. Like, that so, would be like a fun some connection. sort of a connection. I was like, right. That felt like something that, again, that they were unintentionally, I guess, <laughs> it's like having a potential for. Yeah. And maybe it's you know set up for a sequel because the the ending of this movie is not shy of being like, wink, wink, wink. <laughs> Here's mm-hmm. what we do if we get another one. Right. Uh, yeah. They're on a journey to find Chuck and. Uh, Augie. Yeah, and like their whole thing is like she's saying over voiceover, Stella is that like, you know, there's got to be some way to bring them back. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, so maybe that is the same thing. And Stella's mom was taken by the book, and that's the whole thing. And like, you know, that'd, that'd be cool if we get that. I mean, the movie's doing well at the box office, so maybe that's the case. Maybe we'll see that story. But I don't know. I just felt like that was a question I had of like, what really happened to her mom? That I felt like they could have tied it into the whole who was Sarah thing. Yeah. That would have been interesting. Her dad, Roy kind of gets into it played by Dean Norris perfectly. He's not in enough things anymore, but they're just sort of like, it's the character thing that you have to deal with. I don't, they really, that's another thing that, you know, this movie doesn't really just tie back into the grand story at right. all. It's really just Sarah was a victim in the past who was treated like the villain because she was different. And then like, you know, I, I dig that trope. I like it. Mm-hmm. I think it's great. Like revisionist history and all sorts of, not revisionist, but uh, it's a great re-exploration of like, urban legends and witches. And it's, 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 it's one reason why I think the witch is such a powerful a 24 horror movie is because it does it differently and picks those approaches. But yeah, that's, it's not, it's <laughs> not meant to be thought about and stewed no. over. <laughs> it's just like, hmm, we don't yeah, have a mid, I don't have a midsummer level of uh, analysis. Oh for no, us here. <laughs> absolutely not. I don't think that movie, this movie is made for that sort of analysis. It's more just like, you know, I don't think there's really that much else to talk about. Like in terms of spoilers, that's why I was no. like, I just had these thoughts while I was watching this movie. I was like, you know, might as well talk about them. Yeah, sure thing. A lot of swearing in PG-13 movies now. That surprised me. Really? I don't really recall a whole lot. No, there's plenty. But I'm not offended by it. It was just like, oh, that's what you can get away with now. I mean, was there like more than one F-bomb or was there even one? No, no F-bombs. No F-bomb as an adjective. 
but a lot of JC and OMGs, and I'm like, wow, that litters this movie. Interesting. Mm. Which, okay, I guess we're there. Yeah, I guess Just so. Just an observation. I forgot yeah. what this movie was rated. So <laughs> once I found that out, I'm like, oh, okay, there we go. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I guess, will Josh ever watch this movie again? I think I would watch it once more. Or maybe like to show other people it if they want a quality kids scary movie. Yeah, this is what this is what it is. Um, it's real. I think it's well polished. It's just not a. Uh, it's not exactly terrifying. It's for, no. like I said, it's for a family adventure. If you want to still scare your kids a little bit. Yeah, but like like what like ten year olds and up. Yeah, I would say so. PG thirteen. I'm not a parent. That range. I have no idea. Yeah, <laughs> ten year olds acceptable. are playing rated R video <laughs> games now, man. Come on. I guess so. Um, but yeah, I'll. Don't have really any, any intention of watching the movie again, so uh, that's going to be... I think that's all we have for our review of Scariest Stories to Tell in the Dark. I give it three ticket stubs. Josh gives it three and a half ticket stubs. Let us know what you guys thought. If you saw the movie, do so by tweeting us on Twitter at Friends Film. We'll be right back in a bit with the news. You got to pick up every stitch. You got to pick up every stitch. back with the news and as i was gonna start with our three main topics this week uh with a update on venom 2 as we talked about was it last week two weeks ago last week two weeks ago that uh the directors for venom 2 andy circus was the front runner but that travis knight and rupert wyatt were also in contention for that job and uh thr reported this week that circus is indeed the choice and circus then quickly took to social media to confirm this news Tweeting a picture of him, you know, with a, a weird sort of these evil eyes almost behind the comic book and yes. uh, ready to go. He was like, it was, it was very, like, looked like he was like in like the red room or something like yeah. that and just really trying to terrify, um, which maybe signifies Carnage will be the character they tackle. Maybe? I'm, I'm still I, not I sure. I, at this, at this point, I just don't feel like that's the direction that like they're going to go. Yeah, me neither. But and, Circus is a good choice. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Circus, I I still think Rupert Wyatt makes the most sense for the Venom movie, for a sequel to the Venom movie we already got, mm-hmm. where I feel like Circus, and maybe that this will be for the best, just isn't going to do that same thing, I don't think. No, it's signaling a change of direction, I think, with something a little more substantial and a little more clear on what the Venom character is with Eddie Brock behind the wheel. This will be something darker um definitely pushing the pg-13 rated r thing again it won't be right um but i think it'll deliver on because that's the thing that it'll deliver on the scares because what ruben flesher couldn't do is get there all the way i think he thought he was but i think circus will know how to to work that mm-hmm. with the um whatever the people who rate movies are called the mpaa thank you yes i think i th- but i think they'll be able to work it better and just make it a little more coherent in terms of story and character yeah i mean i hope so i mean the the writer of the movie is still kelly marcel who co-wrote the previous movie even though i know she came on later in the um pre-production process to basically kind of punch up the script so we'd have no idea 
what parts of Venom were hers, what parts of Venom were not. I think it was pretty clear. <laughs> I mean, but was it? We don't know. I mean, I don't know her writing at all, but she, I mean, there's parts of Venom that are good and there are parts that are terrible. Yeah. And the terrible parts are anytime Eddie Brock is not in the ven- in the Venom suit, you know, beating people up and having like a slime up battle fest with the other symbiotes. So, the, you know, the beat by beat, like, just Brock doing his thing. I'm going to go ahead and just attribute that to her. And th- those are the fun, fun, fine times of the movie. Oh, so you're saying all the the Venom stuff with actual Venom is the bad part of Venom. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. A movie I enjoyed, by the way. Yeah, you enjoyed it. I think more than... Did you give four ticket stubs? We have four ticket stubs. Yeah. A lot more than I did. Uh, well, not a lot more. It's like a whole ticket stub more. But still, it's uh, that's substantial. I don't know. I'm just, at this point... Venom 2 with or without Andy Circus is just a movie. I'm just like, okay, bring it on. Mm-hmm. I'm it's... not I'm not excited about it. I'm going to go see it when it comes out, probably next October. Um, but I just want to know like what we're doing because, I, again, I feel like Carnage, what, played by Woody uh, Harrelson, was a thing that for Ruben Fleischer. And now Ruben Fleischer is not involved mm-hmm. uh, with this movie at all. And I don't know if maybe Woody Harrelson would. I mean, he has that working relationship with Circus through War for Pen of the Apes. So I guess there is still that connection that you could bring him back. But I just wonder, like, if that's still what Circus wants to do, if that's what Fleischer was basically like, no, I wanted to save Carnage for the sequel because that's what I want to do for the sequel. So now if he's not there, like the Sony and Marcel and Hardy, who's apparently been co-writing the script, basically, uh, do they have other plans, other, you know, things they want to see happen and you know we can't take everything every single clue as you know fact here but the comic issue that you know uh circus shared and confirmed that he is directing venom 2 was the cover of venom lethal protector number six that's a storyline that is at least an issue that has nothing to do with carnage Mm -hmm. i again i'm not saying that that is 100 percent confirmation that carnage is not in this movie but the plot of that issue is that like Venom is like working uh, Venom and Eddie Brock are like trying to stop some like giant, like there's like a hole in the, the park or something with like bombs or something. Like they're trying to like stop that. Not like this big symbiotic threat. Oh boy. So like I, I just, yeah. So, okay. Roland Treese uh, is learned of this underground city. sought to claim a golden secret. Uh, government public knowledge, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, but there's an underground secret uh, that is going to be blown up, basically, by this villain. And that's what Venom is trying to stop from happening. And that sounds like an interesting, potentially small-scale threat for Venom to try to stop. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Spider-Man comes in, tries to stop him, and then they have to team up. So, I don't know. Does that mean that Tom Holland Spider-Man's going to be Venom too? Andy Serkis directs a Venom 2 movie where Tom Holland's definitely crosses over. Not Ruben Flesher and definitely not Rupert Wyatt. That's my thinking. So you're thinking I don't know if it happens. Though. You're saying but you're saying just because Serkis is involved that gives more yes of a possibility that Holland's involved. That's a, definitely a validation. Rupert Fletcher doesn't direct an MCU movie. Andy Serkis, who's been in the MCU, directs a MCU adjacent film. I mean, maybe. I I don't I don't think who I mean, they could have had freaking Robert Downey Jr. direct Venom too. Mm-hmm. I'd, and like, I don't think that would have increased whether or not Tom Holland's going to be in that movie. I think that you know there were rumors that they wanted to do it for Venom. Mm-hmm. 
I don't think that was ever really in the cards. I don't know where it would have fit. Um, and at this point, I just don't know what Marvel's thought process is. I, don't, I think that I feel like if Venom 2 was going to be part of the MCU, I feel like we would have known about it by now. Because yes. then because Marvel Studios would, would want input on the story, directors, all this sort of stuff. They're not going to be. I don't think it's going to be a last second thing where it's like, hey, Holland just finished up Uncharted. He's, you know, in Atlanta where Venom's shooting. You know, Feige, can you stop by? I mean, not even if they have to ask Feige legally if they have to or not. Um, like, you know, can he be in this movie? And he's like, what's the story about? When does it take place? This takes place in 2020. Are you mentioning the snap? Are you mentioning any of this stuff? No, eh, it's un- it's, un- it's unclear. <laughs> I don't know. I'd rather mm, not. Interesting. We do have a five-year gap now. Yeah. And I'm not That's saying that. I'm not saying that you know they would have to reference, you know, that half people were snapped by Thanos, that direct line or something. But like you know, it would have to at least talk about how the world's economy is crumbling <laughs> with half of the people gone or something. Mm-hmm. Then you're getting into the whole taxation of the trade routes right. and then All that kind it's a of stuff. whole mess. But I uh, know I just think Circus is a polished director. Not even polished. He's got he's got he's got brand. What, two movies. He's got a brand to him. And I think he knows how to run a set. And if you're going to force Venom to be into the MCU or you're going to put your Spider-Man into this Venom movie, mm-hmm. He's the guy you want, you know, directing it on the press tours to to run it. So maybe I don't know. I feel like film. if if a crossover ever, ever happens, I feel like it is more likely that the first crossover will happen with Venom appearing in a Spider movie, not Spider Man appearing in a Venom movie. Mm, I think that's true. So I don't think it's gonna happen for Venom too. At the end of the day, this is really all just we don't know all of the all the discussion is Carnage gonna be the villain is Spider-Man gonna be the villain? nobody knows at this point except for Sony mm-hmm. um we have no idea a lot of other people don't either so at, at this point it's really just it, does Andy Serkis's involvement directing Venom 2 make you more excited for the movie yes absolutely like on a scale of one to ten. Seven. okay it's like a a five a four maybe it's just like I'm still that's my base is a four for Venom 2 as a whole? As a whole, with Circus, 7. Okay. I would say Venom 2, by itself, regardless of the director, it's like a 3. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Circus, I guess, bumps up to like a 5. But still, it's like... Yeah, I mean, expectations-wise, we don't know. No. But with him there, I just think the excesses and the, and the just... The reveling in symbiote, gooey, messy gore mm-hmm. is going to be toned down and we're going to see something a little more um predator prey sleek and a little nori and that's and that's what a venom movie needs to be okay not that gobby mess that <laughs> turned out to be the final act of if venom. anything i just hope that it means that you know with circus involvement his knowledge of motion capture performance capture vfx in general that you know we're gonna get like a good-looking Venom. We're going to get a great-looking Venom. They had made $800 million last time around. True. And they definitely did not have that expectation when the, when the oh, film was made. Oh, definitely not. There's no way. Um, but let's move on to Disney um, and some reboots they're doing. They're not rebooting Venom, not into the MCU or anything. No. Uh, they're rebooting four Fox properties, as CEO uh, Bob Iger announced on their uh, Disney 
uh, third quarter of 2019 earnings call this past week, uh, he confirmed that four Fox properties, those being Cheaper by the Dozen, Diary of a Wimpy Kid, Home Alone, and Night at the Museum are all being rebooted, but not in theaters. They're all being rebooted with homes on Disney+. Plus. There's not confirmation that all of these are going to be rebooted as movies. Maybe like, you know, Diary of the Wimpy Kid is going to be like a TV series or something. But all of these properties, these known IPs, are not going back to theaters. They're all going to Disney streaming service. Josh, what do you make of these reboots and them going to Disney+. Plus? I don't know what to make of them. They're basically taking Fox's most like widely popular and family-friendly franchises mm-hmm. and going to twist them and put them on their friend, their streaming service. Yep. Okay. Great. Cool. But none of these are like particularly great. Like we, I feel like we've seen Disney versions of home alone and diary of the wimpy kid and cheaper by the dozen kind of sort of, and they're not good. <laughs> and I don't know what these are even going to be. Um, Especially when you're putting them on, like when you, prestige streaming content does not exist yet. No. The closest thing I can think of is possibly what Amazon Studios did with um, Homecoming. That's about it. So beyond that. Well, when you're um, saying prestige, what do you mean? Like in terms quality, of quality? Quality from beginning to end without any campiness or anything like that. Okay. House of Cards like, season that's one. Not, that's not what these properties are. No, I mean, but then again, like, are we going to get quality out of these? I mean, Diary of the Wimpy Kid, you have no expectations I, I've for. literally never seen any of the movies, and then, you know, I was kind of doing some research about them. All of them made basically the exact same at the box office, except mm-hmm. for uh, Fox's most recent attempt to reboot it. made, like, $25 million worldwide, uh, which is just shocking. The first three are pretty good, though. They made, they all made between 70 and $77 million. Yeah, they're quality. Worldwide. And they're all, and that's fine. And I think that is probably the one that makes the most sense to me for Disney to be like, you know what? Yes, Fox just tried to reboot this two years ago, but let's redo it. Let's turn into like a TV or something about just high, about teenage, well, not even preteen kids going through middle school. Mm-hmm. And like, that's just what it is. It's yeah. high school musical without the music, basically. And more <laughs> right. like, uh, like questions about like I don't know like puberty and girls and like that kind of stuff like yeah. that that's what this whole thing's about. Then like Night at the Museum that franchise is huge, one point three billion dollars at the box office between three films, and I don't know how much of that is to do with the brand versus Ben Stiller or just the timing of when those movies came out and them you know the the status of Hollywood and the box office being so different that a movie like Night at the Museum could make four to five million dollars worldwide at the box office where that seems like impossible now for mm-hmm. most studios um but i'm just surprised that you know that and like home alone that those are going to be on a, a streaming service not these august september releases that are like hey right as you're going back to school like have some fun with these yeah and do you think they're do you think they're films or do you think they're series i think all of them are movies i think diary of Wimpy kids probably the most likely be turned into a, a series just because mm-hmm. like again i don't know what the plots of that is of, a, of those movies are but it seems like it's just shenanigans yeah like and like you can do that for eight episodes for 30 minutes do it once a year and like that's your children that's like one of your like prime like children's content yeah. see here's the thing though i think night of the museum like a whole museum to keep exploring night after night after night and after night uh-huh. that's a series diary will be kid like you said Easily a series. Home Alone, turn it into like a 
10 episode streaming service that, series. That's the one I don't think you can do streaming. I think you can. Like what? What's the story? Home Alone. The house. How does it last? Ten filler. episodes. Lots and lots yeah. of filler. Kevin yeah. goes to the store, runs away, hides in the park. Oh my Kevin gosh. gets left at home. The robbers try to break in the first night. And he turns the lights on. That's it. No. You see him. You basically see all the that's, things movie skip, and that's your series. <laughs> you see him put up Michael Jordan on the train, lay the tracks. Yeah, but that would be a fifteen-minute sequence of okay, how do I construct this properly? What what does this set need to look like so yes. it loops around and like no. And then there's the B plot of the family in Paris, and then you get them doing all that. Buzz gets to yell at the Spanish TV, and it just goes on and 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 on. So. No, I mean, the first Home Alone is an hour and 43 minutes. Yes. Are you thinking 30-minute episodes, an hour-long episode? No, definitely like 22 minutes a pop. 10 episodes a season? Yeah. Yeah, but it's still like, you're talking about like giving as much attention to the first season of that show. Mm-hmm. Maybe you turn it an anthology or whatever, you just have oh, you're all, you these, yeah. all these kids getting left all you over the place. Different cultures, right. backgrounds. But like... You're talking about like giving like three to four times as much screen time to a a a, a television version of the story that like I think is at its best clearly when mm-hmm. it's at this very tight, you know, hour forty mark. Yeah, I mean they're definitely not going with Ryan Reynolds' stoned alone version. You know, was I even at Fox? Yeah, it was at Fox. I hope that still happens. I hope it does. I know. Too. I know. I, really, I thought you were against it. Initially. I was against it because Pete Davidson was attached to it, and I'm just oh. not on the Pete Davidson train yet. No, there are plenty of other. Uh, People we could toss in there. Yes. No, I, I, yeah, I, I'm not super excited about, I guess, that possibly. But I think the stoned alone concept is still yeah, I would take, genius. Yeah, I would take like Zoe Dutch or like in that role or something <laughs> like that. I think that would be plenty funny. But I don't know. I just think that from what we know, I think this is a pretty clear sign of what Disney's planning to do with Fox um, in these early stages. They've only had the company for four months now or so mm-hmm. um but they're turning four of their biggest you know family driven franchises that, that have existed on the big screen for the last decade plus on, onto their streaming service and i think that makes sense in a lot of these ways because i don't again i don't think other than maybe home alone with a nostalgia kick at christmas or night at the museum hitting at that right that right time i just don't know how those movies perform incredibly well at the box office so i get it from a uh, a money game for Disney. Mm-hmm. I'm just, you know, not thinking of, you know, like if these properties don't qualify for theatrical runs, um, you know, what else in Fox's library doesn't like, you know, I, I feel yeah. like alien avatar, obviously plan the apes Kingsman, like that kind of stuff's going to stay on the big screen. But like what else of theirs are we going to hear about going to Disney plus or even to Hulu, you know, because Disney now owns full control of Hulu. Like what are we going to be hearing about? You know, it, whether it's original movies or turning them into TV shows um, of these Fox properties in the you know, next, you know, five years. Yeah, that's a great question. But that's a, yeah, it's a stupid point. If these things aren't even going to be deemed, like you said, box office worthy, other than like the three billion dollar franchises Fox owns, mm-hmm. what is? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's tough. I mean, we're at the same point, you know, Disney's putting, you know, a Lady in the Tramp, quote unquote, live action remake, mm-hmm. you know on their streaming service and like they're using real animals like like so like they're they're going the the, the quote like the cheaper route i would assume yes uh then you're doing completely cgi mm-hmm. uh animals for that for that movie but like you know uh, the lady in the tramp brand i still think is a very strong one that you could have still conjured up a mm-hmm. 
sixty million dollar opening in September. Yes. Whereas like now it's just like, well, let's hope it gets us fifteen million subscribers or something. Like that's probably way too crazy of a number for one title. But like when it comes out on the initial launch of, you know, Disney Plus, it's like they're gonna like that is one of their big draws. So it's just like I just think it's interesting and I can't wait to learn more about what like Disney is thinking about in terms mm-hmm. of streaming, like what properties they deem for streaming, what properties are like, no, that's a theatrical release. Because like Artemis Fowl to me screams they do not release that in theaters. It's gonna right. be a huge it's gonna be a huge bust. But they're like, no, we're just gonna delay it and put it in what, March of next year or something? Yes. And it's like why that movie's not going to Disney Plus uh confuses me beyond, you know, compare. So uh, any other thoughts about Disney rebooting Fox? No, I have I have no thoughts just yet, other than I'm waiting for my alien news. That's what I want to know the most. Ridley Scott rumors are like swirled again, and so well, if he's I'm, gonna be doing that that warrior, not warrior movie, the uh, King, the, 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 stone. the dueling movie, the last duel, the last duel. <laughs> if the, that's his next project, if that ever gets off the ground, there's then, the uh, Merlin franchise apparently. Yep. So there's all those things, but I'm yeah. ready for another alien sequel. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, sequel to Alien Covenant and Prometheus. Are you thinking complete reboot slash sequel takes place like, you know, after Alien 4 or they just retcon it and remove Alien 3 and 4 from canon? Retcon and remove Alien 3 and 4 from canon. Or at least, I mean, no, because those are also Gordon Weaver and I do not want to retcon any of her films. Just go ahead and add one on to the end of it. And pick us up on desolate and wasted earth and go from there. All right, well, we'll have to stay tuned for that, I guess. Um, but we also had a piece of news drive right before we started recording. Um, it came from Star Wars News Nets, where I saw it. They picked up on a tidbit that came from John Williams' brother, Dan Williams, uh, who was speaking at a panel at the Academy of Scoring Arts in Los Angeles. Um, and he revealed that John Williams, the legendary composer, has uh, is set to score 135 minutes worth of music for Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. That's astounding. It's a lot and of music. I, at first, I was like, okay, like that's a little longer than what he's done before. And then I was like, wait, no, I'm not calculating this correctly. That's two hours and 15 minutes worth of music. The longest soundtrack for a Star Wars movie, just in terms of like the score that he has put out, um, it's a tie between The Last Jedi and The Force Awakens at an hour and 18 minutes apiece. So we're talking about an hour and 17 minutes longer. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a whole nother movie worth of music and I, and I don't know all of the intricacies of the scoring process if he mm-hmm. just over records and has you know 10 minute versions of this one theme that then is cut down to two minutes or what the case is but like to me this is another indication on top of all of the story that I think Star Wars Rise of Skywalker has to juggle that this movie is going to be very long I think we're looking at a three hour movie just easy if not more than that more than three hours? I, I think so. I think it could push it. But it, three hours would be minimum, I think is what this score says. Minimum? Minimum. We don't get... There's no cut of this movie that's going to be under three hours. It's Cooper bringing to an end three trilogies here. I get that. And so there will be definitely multiple phases. There will definitely be like just senseless reconnecting and tying the dots and crossing T's and all sorts of things like that um, across basically three, four, five, five decades now, almost five uh, decades of films. Almost five, yeah. 
So 50, almost 50 years of movies. So with that said, you've got to be ready to score it. Right. I mean, I, I have no question that I think it's going to be the longest Star Wars movie, which yes. is currently two hours and 33 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Last Jedi by Ryan Johnson. Great movie. Um, I, I have no question it's going to beat that by at least 10 minutes. I think we're at least at two hours and 45 minutes with this movie. Easy. I am just not sure where, you know, Lucasfilm and JJ and Disney are with the Star Wars brand to do a three hour movie like next up like that. That's the question I have where it's like, you know, star Wars has a goodwill that basically flourished with the force awakens and has been writing, writing billion dollar success after billion dollar success with it until so solo is an outlier. <laughs> I know. Um, this is so, yeah, I mean, you don't need to train anybody. You don't need to prepare anybody for this. Um, it's, yeah, you can do a three-hour movie, and that can be like that will be the talking point. But people are so enamored with the mystery of this that it's just going to be like, okay, that's what I have to deal with. You'll see like an article from like CNET, and they're just be like, go pee before the movie and don't get a big drink right. or whatever. But like that'll be that'll be that will be all the talk. There's no, there's not a, um, I don't want to say this. The message boards won't be filled with the runtime. But you'll see a few people be complain, but that'll be it. So you don't you don't think there's any like chance that you know JJ, let's say like you know in early October, right before the trailer drops, the mm-hmm. new trailer, uh, he is like he goes into Kathleen Kennedy's office and is like, hey, just so you know, like I'm like a week away from finishing my cut. Do you want to watch it or just wait? And he's like, oh no, I'll, I'll wait. Um, but just for like a frame of reference, like what are we looking at? He's like, oh, it's like three and a half hours. I think you would have to sell it on her, but yeah. I mean, you think that like you're bringing like again three trilogies, my friend. Oh, I yeah, I understand. This isn't the Harry Potter's cash grab of Deathly Hallows Part One and Part Two here. <laughs> this is this is tying up everything mm-hmm. supposedly, believe them or not. And so yeah, if it needs to go that long, it goes that long. But I think you're looking at like a three-hour movie. Is, Easy. Okay, but is there any way that, that even if it's only th- only <laughs> i'm saying only three hours long mm-hmm. is there any way that like you know jj like goes in like t- says this to kennedy or something or like shows it to bob Iger and Alan Horn and everybody and is like all right here we go and they're like dude you have to cut 15 minutes out no you think they're just gonna let him do oh, whatever needs to be done yeah to this conclude is it? this is this is jj's biggest movie that he's ever done i mean it's i think at this point in our lives at this point in the star Wars sphere, mm-hmm. I think this is the most important star Wars movie that's ever come. Yes. Because if it is three hours long or whatever and crushes mm-hmm. great. Right. But if it's, you know, JJ turns in a three ten cut, they're like, you have to cut it down to two forty. He's like, We're, I'm going to have to cut 30 minutes out of this film. That's impossible. Like you have to do it. He's like, uh, no, I'm not going to. Somebody else can do it, but I'm like wipe my hands clean or whatever happens. And we have like a BVS situation on hands where it's like, mm-hmm. okay, this editing's really choppy. I feel like we're missing important keys of, uh, you know, the story here. Yeah. Then like this movie, if it bombs, is like a huge detriment to the Star Wars brand. You yeah. Know? No. No. That is that. I think that's just like a. That's like a. 
oh, I think that's imagining a disaster scenario that won't come up or exist because it's nothing, nothing about Star Wars and it's one point. Three billion dollar. It's one point three billion dollar disappointment with the Last Jedi. You know, in twenty seventeen, um, like says that, or like it even indicates that in any kind of way that there's like a there's a, something at stake here. The only stakes are the anticipation and how you're going to make people feel leaving the movie. There's nothing to prove because this is the end. Mm-hmm. This is. This is the. This is not going to like you know. Endgame does launch something else, even though it technically ended. Ended, yeah. but it launched at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, the people are going to come away disappointed from this movie because it didn't end the way they wanted, no matter what. So the most important thing is the people at Lucasfilm and JJ and everyone on set satisfy themselves with it. And so, if three hours is necessary to get everything in, to at least give yourself a shot of making five, four generations of people happy with the franchise, that's what they got to do. And I think Kathleen Kennedy knows that and understands that. Bob Iger, to an extent, Bob Iger's just thrilled about anything. I mean, Han Solo's naming origin story, like, you know, sold (laughs) him on a a $300 million movie. Yeah. So. Well, I think originally the movie's going to be $100 million or something. Things happened. Yes. And so when you come all the way back around to it, um, yeah, I don't. I don't. Let me know. First of all, the stakes aren't that high. Second of all, the the movie getting cut down. Sure, maybe. Like when you watch the deleted scenes of the Force Awakens or the Last Jedi, mm-hmm. you're like, how did we get from here to here without lifting, like you know, half the movie? When you see what gets pulled out of that film, mm-hmm. then you're just sort of like, oh, well, you just lift out more, and then it condenses the entire story down. Yeah. And then you get plenty of deleted scenes mm-hmm. and all sorts of jazz like that. But, yeah, I mean, I reject your premise. That's no, what I'm saying. I, I think that's totally fine. I don't really have the belief that that's what Lucasfilm would do. I think Lucasfilm and Disney are smart enough to know, like, let's not like, mm-hmm. try to cut down. Right. Because we just, you know, by happenstance had a three-hour movie become the biggest movie of all time. Yeah. I don't think that that's a direct comparison that needs to be, that should be made there in mm-hmm. terms of the build-up to each movie and the... Uh, and everything that happened um, for each respective franchise, but Disney at least knows. Well, we can't put a three-hour movie out in theaters, and it's because it's not going to make money because they just saw the complete opposite effect of that. Correct. So I don't think that's a concern. And JJ's hardly a renegade filmmaker. I mean, this movie was done in tandem with Iger and Kennedy mm-hmm. from the get-go, and I'm sure once the script got finished, I mean, you know what your runtime right. is. Right. You should. You should know roughly. roughly, and then you know there's obviously reshoots and stuff that come. Of course. Um, so. I don't know. I I am just I'm very curious to see what this runtime comes in at cuz I don't think that a 2 hour and 15 minute score, you know, if that means that you know if Williams scored half of the the footage that was in the last Jedi mm-hmm. that we're getting a 2 hour and or a 4 hour 4 and a half hour, you know, Star Wars 9. <laughs> I don't that's that's not happening. But you know, I just think that this is more uh you know, kind of indications that this movie is going to be long. It's going to be very long. It's going to be the longest Star Wars movie. And hopefully it delivers. I have all faith that it will. But, Me too. Um, if it does come in at at least above 245, because I think we're at least in agreement there that it's going to at least hit that benchmark. And it gets great reviews. What do you think the box office is like for Star Wars 9? Oh, uh, gosh. 
great reviews, satisfying ending, mind-melding final shot, as Kevin Smith says. Box office, I think you look at like 1.6, 1.7. Okay. Do you, so you don't think there's do you think there's, do you think there's any shot that it could top Force Awakens? No, I don't think so. Because there's no, there's no, um, the anticipation hasn't been building for this. The Force Awakens is just such an outlier because it had been so long since the Star Wars yeah. movie, since something so that burned so hot and so bright in pop culture had been put down for a while and then relit in the almost perfect way that a Force Awakens did. Beat for beat, marketing was incredible. And so, like, I mean, you and I got swept up in it and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And so, when you get back to it, I think that'll be the case. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like there's, like, an, an outside shot that it could top Force Awakens, but I think it'd have to come in at, like, 245. Because I think it ha- and it ha- it'd have to have something that would, as Kevin Smith mentioned, like, has this mind-melting ending or has something that, like, like demands like all like a hundred repeat viewings or something. Yeah. Cause like the, the big thing for force awakens was getting almost a billion dollars domestically. Mm-hmm. That is almost un- that I can, that's not replicable. Inconceivable. So you have to come up with six to $700 domestically. Um, and then at least 700 and then talk about a 1.3 billion overseas, which is means appealing to China in a big way that star Wars never really done before. And, all that stuff. So I, I'd say there's a very slim chance I wouldn't bet my money on it, but... Yeah, turns out when you release a movie that's about destroying fascism, it doesn't go over well in places with fascism. Who knew? There we go. Uh, let's move on. Two ticket or skip it here. Uh, three trailers, all premiere trailers, four movies, uh, I yes. believe all coming out this year. Uh, the first trailer for Honey Boy, the first trailer for Haunt, and the first trailer for Low Tide. Josh, which one gets your ticket this week? I'm going to go ahead and give it to Haunt. This is a momentum film, a- production company i'm not familiar with a lot but i'll tell you this it looks like it's got a lot of the um really cheap blumhouse kind of scare tactics going in it um which reminds me a little purge a little bit but there are some really striking and unsettling images going on here that are really simple and really cool that um make it like an interesting like teen horror film, um, haunted house, murder house. I don't know what you would really call the genre that's going on here, but there's a lot of inventive stuff. But the the just the row of ghosts haunting that hall and that white light shot midway through the trailer is just sticking with me here. And so I'm gonna go ahead and toss my um, ticket right to haunt because one I love horror movies, but also this just looks like a grand time. Yeah, I mean, it's written by uh, Beckin Woods, yes. the duo behind The Quiet Place. So uh, I think that trailer that trailer really intrigued me. I'm going to give my ticket, though, to Honey Boy, the Shia LaBeouf cathartic biopic, basically, mm-hmm. um, where he plays his dad, Noah Jupe, from A Quiet Place, plays the young version of Shia LaBeouf, and then Lucas Hedges plays the teenage version of Shia. Yes. Um, I think this trailer just looks like unlike any other, like, biopic i've ever seen there's such a like the personal connection that shy obviously has to and his involvement with the project i think makes it all the more interesting and like that final line where like you know noah and shy are like talking about like you know the relationship between a, a son child actor mm-hmm. paying the father to be his manager 
and how that makes the father feel. And he's like, well, you, and then the trailer ends with the line of Noah Jupe saying, you wouldn't be here if I didn't pay you like, boom, that is heartbreaking. That is like, that tells you everything you need to know about the relationship between this father son pairing and yeah. what the dynamic is like in that movie. And I think that just like the, the, all of these, like these different shots of like Lucas hedges um, and then Shia, like on, or not Shia and uh, Noah Jupe, like tied up and like, doing like these slow-mo send back through like i don't know if that's all happening because it looks like they're on like sets Mm -hmm. in the movie or if that's all like some out of mind experience something that's happening with the movie and the framing device of the film or something but i just think it all looks really really good and i'm hoping that this is a a nice addition to the the return of shia labeouf because that guy is super talented and you know yeah he kind of went off the deep end there but i i would love to see him get back to being like somebody who's like up for a lot of things. Yeah, I mean, I don't know deep. I guess I don't know much about Shia LaBeouf at all. This looks like a good, uh, this is like a good story. Yeah, I mean, as long as there's like seven even Stevens references, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be super happy. Do we know if it's gonna get that? If it's gonna get that precise? I don't know. I but mean, it definitely looks it, like he's on set of some kind of like kitschy Disney. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, Noah Jupe has that like curly afro sort of a look to him so Mm -hmm. it's like he's right there even that like the hawaiian shirt that he's wearing when he gets pie in the face looks very familiar for you know even stevens so um my fingers are crossed that it happens yeah same here so uh let's move on to the flyby here to wrap up this episode starting with uh some casting on the eternals even though marvel announced what we thought was most of the cast um, and the big names at Comic-Con two, a couple weeks ago, uh, Variety Report this week, that Gemma Chan has joined the cast of Eternals. And if that's a name that sounds familiar to you, MCU fans, that's because she played Minerva in Captain Marvel. But she's going to be playing a different character, it sounds like, in Eternals. And then Collider reported that Barry Keegan um, has joined the cast as well in an unknown role. So, Josh, two new castings for Eternals. Uh, any um, direct thoughts on either of them? Yes, Gemma Chan is super talented. And was wasted in Captain Marvel. Agreed. Does she have like three lines maybe? Maybe. Possibly four. Whatever the case, too few. And, and then she's killed off. And then killed off. In, in the past. So it's, it's like very limited opportunity to bring her back. Right. No one's going to recognize her um, on the return. So it's a genius move. And so glad to see that happen. The other dude, forgot his name already. Barry Keegan? Yeah, Barry. Keegan? Congrats, man. Welcome to the movie. I mean, he's in your favorite movie of all time, Dunkirk. Yeah, I don't remember him. <laughs> Dunkirk is not about the people, Cooper. I know, I know. It's I know. about the experience. I know. But even though you may not remember him, Dunkirk, I don't. I I don't even remember, really remember him and his performance in Dunkirk. But he is a really talented actor. He was in um, American Animals. He was has this really weird role in a really weird movie that is Killing of the Sacred Deer. Um, and but he's he's a really talented guy, and so I'm happy to see him uh, join the project. I have no idea who he's going to play. Um, and then Gemma Chan, I am in completely agree with you that she was wasted in um, Captain Marvel, uh, especially after seeing her in mm-hmm. uh, Crazy Rich Asians, which I thought she was really, really good in. And just to see her get, like like you said, three to four, baby five lines, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, that's super disappointing. And so I'm very happy to see Marvel go back on their ways, um, in a sense, bring her back. And I don't think, we have no confirmation of what, you know, place in time eternals you know is is taking place in so mm-hmm. it, theoretically she could potentially play minerva again but i'd much rather her get a different part a lead role potentially in eternals and play like cersei i think that'd be super cool um and sticking with 
sort of an MCU tie here. Uh, Variety also revealed this week that Taika Waititi is going to direct another movie before he directs Thor 4. It will be a, a movie based on the documentary Next Goal Wins for Fox Searchlight uh, that follows the story of a Dutch coach turning the American Samoa soccer team around. So, uh, Waititi doing another movie before Thor 4. Great. Good for him. Jojo Rabbit looks uh, really fun. But also a Taika Waititi sports movie? Mm-hmm. Like, yes. <laughs> that sounds great. And, and this, I can't wait to see it. This has, like, the the inklings of, like, something, like, kind of serious. Yeah, could be. And, like, humor, of course, too. And I would love to see him in, like, one of those independent films because he, that's, it, that's him. So bring it on. Yeah. Um, then we also got a report from Deadline this week that Lucasfilm is set to produce um, a book, a, a movie adaptation of the book Children of the Children of Blood and Bone, uh, which is going to be their first non-Star Wars or Indiana Jones project since being acquired by Disney. K. Uh, Oyugan is writing the script and Rick Famuyiwa is attached to direct. The book is based around a young heroine who attempts to restore magic to her nation and overthrow the ruthless, the new ruthless king who has kind of made magic go away. So uh, I think this is an interesting project for Lucasfilm to tackle as the first non-Star Wars, non-Indiana Jones movie under Disney. Um, but I'm really excited to see Rick Famuyiwa attached to this. His ties to Lucasfilm keep on growing. He's directing an episode of The Mandalorian. There's rumors he's going to direct an episode of Cassian Andor as well. And now this, hopefully it means he's going to direct an actual Star Wars movie or an MCU movie one day. Um, But I think this is a nice move for Lucasfilm to broaden their horizons beyond just Star Wars and Indiana Jones. Yeah, absolutely. They're dipping back into fantasy a little bit here, which is their bread and butter, though. And it's just great to see Rick Fimua finally get a movie gig again. I mean, he has like three or four things in development but like it's been since 2014 2015 when did dope drop 2016 uh, i want to say 2016 is that right whatever it is it's been way too long for someone as talented as him we've just you know jumping from project to project to project getting nowhere and now finally he's got a studio that'll back his vision 2015 that's awesome to see so yeah it's been four years since we've seen a rick and movie nuts oh and should have been the Flash. Could have had that last year. <laughs> could have been the Flash. It could have been what was the other project? Um, he who was he joined some comic adaptation. Um, he joined uh, something else. I remember like there was that there was that one week where he joined. He got two new projects the same week. We're like, yes, finally, mm-hmm. give Rick Famuyiwa some work. And neither of those have gone anywhere since then. So right. maybe, hopefully, uh, Children of Blood and Bone is going to be his next one. Uh, but we also got a report this week from the Hollywood Reporter that Wesley Snipes has joined the cast of coming two coming to the the numerical two coming to America, the sequel to the original coming to America um, as a ruler of a neighboring nation of Zamunda. Uh, there's also uh, additional castings of Wesley Jones, and Kiki Lane that happened as well, but um, Snipes joining coming to America too. Great. Yeah. Kiki Lane. Great. Snipes. Great. Bring it on. Yeah. Uh, we also got a report from variety this week that Joel Fry has been cast in Cruella. He's going to play Jasper, who is one of the two crooks in the movie with the other one being played by Paul Walter Hauser. So I like Joel Fry um, a lot in yesterday. I thought he was really good in that movie. And so to see him get this role, him paired up with Paul Walter Hauser, that's going to be, I think a really fun dynamic. So yeah. cool. Um, then we also got a report from Discussing Film that Chris Columbus is going to direct a sequel to Christmas Chronicles uh, for Netflix with Kurt Russell returning to star. So that's a change up in the director's chair for the sequel. Chris Columbus has made 
seems like every iconic, you know, 80s family friendly, you know, movie. Um, so him tackling this project next, like, great. And to see more of Kurt Russell, Santa Claus, yes, please. Mm-hmm. Um, director of the Home Alone, the first two Home Alone films, uh-huh. if you're searching for a place to put him. Yeah, I think he also did Gremlins, that, I believe so. Yes, that is, yes, because it's a 1492 film, so. Yeah. Um, and then lastly here, uh, we got a release date for Edgar Wright's new movie, Last Night in Soho. Unfortunately, we're going to wait a whole year to see it because it comes out September 25th, 2020. Um, but I'm just glad it's dated at this point. And is that an official poster? Uh, I know the the logo, the neon logo mm-hmm. is, is official. Nice. There's a couple. There's like one, like I, th- I believe it's a fan-made one of it's like green background and two like silhouette faces. I think that's a fan-made poster. Um, but yeah, hopefully that. Love the logo. Yes, love the, lo- the logo is great. It's like that noir feel. And so an Edgar Wright noir movie with, you know, Anya Taylor-Joy. And some horror thriller tones. Yeah. Bring it on. Sounds great. Um, that's all we have for this week. Next week, I think we're reviewing Good Boys, uh, the new R-rated comedy uh, produced by Seth Rogen. If not, we'll probably be blinded by the light because me and Josh are seeing that a little uh, early on Monday. So, uh, you know, we'll do one of those two movies next week so go check them out um in theaters this coming weekend we'll also be back with a big question uh jumping off of the Gemma chan recasting news for the mcu we're gonna see what other mcu characters or what other mcu actors should be recast in the mcu as you know larger roles because they were underused beforehand um but in the meantime be sure to tell us your thoughts on anything covered by two stars for the film and you can follow me personally on twitter at movie cooper and you can get at me josh at just joshua ryan and if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe share retweet and more plus head over to itunes and give us a five-star view with comments that's why you listen to the show and again if you do that for the next you know 24 hours or so depending on when you listen to this episode uh, you'll be entered to win our avengers endgame digital giveaway thanks again for tuning to the defensible podcast josh thank you for stopping in everyone and be sure to turn next week for our future episodes